0: Good evening. In 1964, the National Gallery of Ireland celebrated its centenary. In that year also, the present director, James White, took up office, and in the four years since then, he has spent about half a million pounds on buying pictures for what is now undoubtedly one of the great national collections in Europe, and perhaps in the world. And now, with the opening of the new extension to the gallery, this splendid treasure of ours has, as I remarked to James White, a treasure house worthy of it.
1: I hope you think it is. I suspect that the ordinary purist of architecture, standing on Marion Square and looking at her new building, might well say it doesn't look modern. Of course, there's a very good reason for this, and it brings up the old argument about, should architecture respect its surroundings? The new National Gallery certainly respects its surroundings, It reflects Leinster House, which is adjoining it, and uh, it also reflects the very elegant square in front of it. When the architect, in the first instance, in 1864, was asked to construct the National Gallery, he appeared to copy exactly the Natural History Museum, which is on the opposite side of Leinster Lawn. And this building was on two floors very large high rooms, which pictures were hung in clusters, almost like postage stamps, one on top of another, with glass roofs to enable the public to see them. And you looked up and you saw all the pictures you could when you came in on a Saturday or a Sunday. There were, in those days, no artificial lighting, so therefore the architect had to make his building uh, to create the best possible use of daylight. Now, this imposed a pattern straight away on the building, so that when you come into these early uh, rooms, you'll be struck by the fact that they, in dimension, seem to resemble railway stations. The the smoke in railway stations goes up to the ceiling. Uh, the light in our galleries flows in and illuminates the walls. In 1903, the Countess of Milltown gave us a large bequest, paintings, sculptures, furniture, silver, books, and so on, in memory of her late husband. And a new building was constructed by Sir Thomas Dean, which more or less doubled the original building. Uh, The pictures are still showing in most cases, but the furniture and the sculpture and the other objects have been deposited either in the National Library or in the National Museum, where they most properly belong. Uh, When, in 1903, this new building was opened, The architectural ideas had altered due to the use of electric light, number one, and number two, to the different feeling people had about the necessity to to display objects. So the new building was made in a series of rooms. There are seven rooms on the ground floor and seven rooms on the floor immediately above. And um, false lighting, that's to say uh, louvres above the rooms, uh, with double windows to conceal the space of the adjoining building, creates a rather different architectural pattern. Now when Frank Tiberi of the Board of Works uh, designed our new building, which was opened some weeks ago, he had to take the same spaces, uh, the same shapes, as already existed next door, and construct what, on the outside, must look exactly like the complex of buildings of Merrion Square, but on the inside, to display uh, paintings and so on in what we can simply call the modern manner. He therefore exactly followed the design on the exterior, but inside used completely different patterns, lower ceilings, um, greater number of floors, and uh, somewhat changed shape for the rooms, so that sometimes you get an oval room, and sometimes you get square rooms, and sometimes long rectangles, which help very much to um,
0: vary the pattern. There's also a very marked atmosphere of lightness and brightness, the opposite of oppressive, if you know what I mean, whatever that is. Well, I'm delighted to hear you're saying that, because this has been
1: one of my lifetime's ambitions, to see that any museum or gallery in which I was involved would not be oppressive. The word oppressive has always been identified in people's minds with museums, places, to which they're brought in order to have their mind improved, or places where they come to learn, whereas I, I would like to think that our gallery is a place where a man from after days work, or a woman after her household chores, or a child after school, will get the feeling, ah, I can sit down and relax, beautiful, comfortable chairs, elegant surroundings, pleasant things to look at. And a, and a, and a, a whole atmosphere in which people can feel relaxed, in which, unlike a church, you feel no hesitation and shouting, hi Mary, come over and see this picture, which is just exactly what you want to do. The, the awful feeling that you've got to speak in a hushed voice has got to be killed, and in fact, I've often thought we ought to put a notice up in the hall as people enter saying,
0: please raise your voice. Hmm. Silence forbidden. That sort of thing. Um, now, What precise additional accommodation have you got as a result of these splendid rooms?
1: Well in terms of rooms we've got 16 new rooms which brings us up to I think 39 exhibition rooms. It's not quite double the old space but it is in a sense double in because we've got larger rooms and we have a better display, uh, less obstructions, less pillars and so on. And therefore we we can practically say that in terms of exhibition space we have doubled On top of that, of course, I'm delighted to tell you that we have a not-reference library where 30 people can come in, sit down, and have a chair and a table to consult reference books. We have a lecture theatre where almost 300 people can be comfortably seated, and a restaurant where 120 people can be seated and can enjoy that comforting cup of tea or coffee or a bit of lunch, or, or give the children an ice cream or glass of lemonade to fill in the afternoon, and in general, uh, you know, relax on the way round the gallery. And we have also a space reserved which has not yet been completed, because we haven't got the material, which I'm, in my own mind, call a children's museum. The object of this is to let anyone, children particularly, see how a painting is constructed, and we hope to have a cross-section of every kind of picture Uh, fresco, tempera, oil painting, watercolour, gouache, uh, drawing and so on and uh, we exhibit the actual materials used to make paint, the brushes, the palette and all the sheer scientific background if you know what I mean which most people I think want to know.
0: Indeed they do and I can assure James White that if he gets this going uh, there's one child here who will be a very keen pupil. Uh, Well, now we've heard about the treasure house. What of the treasure itself? Here I feel I must say two things. One, as you may have noticed, this is radio, not television. But even if it were, even colour television could only do half justice to the extraordinary blaze of beauty that confronts you as you go from room to room in the gallery. Secondly, I can't do even half justice to the sensation of pure delight which this beauty brings with it. What we can try to do, however, and this is the aim of this programme, is to give some idea of the length and breadth of the collection, if not its height and depth, so that we may have some idea of what we've got. We will have some conversation also later on about other aspects of the showing of pictures, but first of all, back to the National Gallery and James White. It is, as he emphasised, Uh, primarily a national gallery of paintings.
1: We do include a certain amount of sculpture, a because it underlines and helps us to understand the painting, and b because a bit of three-dimensional work around relieves the monotony of the flat painting all the time. We do have a certain amount of furniture here and there also uh, to act like uh, sculpture, to create the the sort of interior where one is expected to see paintings anyhow, because I think that they were created in the first instance as, as a kind of decoration to the furniture, to the people who live in the place. Uh, bearing that in mind, we are altogether, one might say, a, a gallery of painting, and uh, apart from four or five great national galleries like that in Washington, and London, and Paris, and Madrid, and perhaps berlin and certainly uh, leningrad apart from those this is possibly the largest and most widespread collection of paintings in the world and in fact i think is as big if not bigger than any of these great ones i've already mentioned so straight away we have got an enormous and a frightfully important collection here i don't like saying this as the director because it sounds a little bit like boasting about your own house but it's a it's a, it's a sheer Uh, fact which which can be recorded. We exhibit approximately 2,000 pictures, including miniatures, and we have altogether in our reserve or basement another 5,000. Of the other 5,000, let no one imagine that they are equally interesting or important. A very large number of these are just simply not worth looking at, and nobody would want to show them anywhere but they must be preserved because they have a, an artistic, or a scientific, or an archaeological interest, and they record something, at a face, or an action, or an activity, or an occasion, which which man needs to preserve because we have a responsibility to the future, and anything, any evidence of life in the past seems to me to be, you know, necessary to be preserved in that sense. But. Uh, The moment one says there are 5,000 works in the basement, a lot of people feel, well, we must get some of those. A very, very large number of the 5,000 are not worth getting. Having said that, we mainly exhibit pictures in our great uh, sort of European schools to represent painting at its finest. We also have an excellent room of miniatures We have two very large rooms, one of continental drawings and watercolours and the other of Irish drawings and watercolours. These are quite separate from the paintings, and we have a large national portrait gallery where we show portraits painted during the last three or four hundred years of important or interesting or or distinguished Irish people or people who have in some way or other uh, made some impact on our world indeed some of our worst enemies are hanging side by side with some of our best heroes
0: you do feel that the, that the national gallery is the place for this you don't feel that it's a kind of separate thing where the where the object uh, is more important or the subject is more important than the painter yes
1: i think it's true that the subject is more important than the painter in most cases but uh, taking into account the size of ireland and the general layout of our museum complex uh, many people will probably find it convenient To discover that the National Portrait Gallery is within the National Gallery. In places like London, for instance, and indeed in other cities, there's a separate National Portrait Gallery, and this would probably be the next development when our government decide to uh, move forward and to extend further our showing. But for the moment, this is the way it is, and I think it's not unsatisfactory. The portraits, as I say, not necessarily to be regarded as great works of art, but amongst the portraits, there are, in fact, some extremely <coughs> interesting works of art, and some of my favourite pictures, and I and I really think that the portrait gallery is still the most popular part of the gallery. There are always more people in it than there are in any other room, I think. This shows, of course, the enormous interest people have in people, and, and after all, even when we look at a work of art, we're very often looking for some uh, element of... of some sympathetic uh, response to to people when we look at uh, a Rubens or a Raphael or a, a Van Dyck, we're, we're searching for a means of measuring ourselves, and we are people. So that in that sense, uh, all, all pictures are close to portraits.
0: But of course, the mainstream of the collection is, uh, I presume, the your 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 representations of the your representative collections from the schools.
1: Of course, yes, and. Um, We do predominate very strongly in a few of them. I suppose you would say that our Italian and our French and our Dutch paintings are the best examples of these particular schools. But let it be said straight away that we do represent every European school well, really well. I would say that our collection of English paintings is by far the greatest collection of English painting in the world outside of England. I would say that (coughs) our collection of Dutch painting Is the best collection of Dutch painting outside of Holland, with the exception of that in London, and I would say that our collection of Italian painting uh, is the best collection of Italian painting outside of Italy, with the exception of a couple of galleries in the world. So that's a lot to to claim. Uh, Generally speaking, we cover all fields of Italian painting. We have five large rooms of Italian painting, of the early Italians, of the um, Renaissance uh, of the Baroque or 17th century, you know, the very decorative uh, kind of painting which followed the Counter-Reformation, all the, the floating angels, and then we have a fine room of 18th century Italian painting, that's the school of Canaletto and uh, the other uh, painters of the view pictures, like Guardi, Bellotto, and so on, the pictures people brought back when they went on the grand tour in the 18th century. Uh, The French uh, is well represented, too. We have good early French pictures and good pictures of the famous 17th century period when Poussin and Claude were dominant throughout Europe. And we have, of course, good room of 18th century, the very elegant painting, which goes with the beautiful Rococo furniture that everybody pays such vast sums of money for today. Even the frames on these pictures are in themselves valuable. Recently, I bought a picture by Alexander Roslin, who was working in Paris, and uh, it had its original frame, which was valued at the time at £3,000, just for the frame. Uh, Then, of course, our 19th-century French brings us right into the sphere of modern painting. Those pictures, which were painted at the Barbizon School, which were concerned to represent light and the movement of figures in the landscape, rather than just to... uh, record appearances. These gave rise and gave birth, one might say, to the Impressionists, the paintings of Renoir and Monet and Degas and so on, which we also uh, can show. And then we have one small collection of modern painting, works by people like Picasso and Juan Gris, uh, and not not a widespread group because, of course, we really leave modern painting to our colleagues in Parnell Square, the Modern Gallery.
0: Yes, I was going to mention this. is this an entirely happy situation for a national gallery, do you feel? Should you be... I, you do represent to some extent, as you say, you give everybody a taste of, of modern painting, but um, can one at, at this stage, you know, in the 1960s, say that uh, this is enough? I mean, have have not the schools that we would call modern been... Themselves? Are they not so established now that, I mean... You know, it, you can hardly use the word modern about them anymore.
1: Well, yes, this is absolutely true about about uh, the sort of famous men of the uh, la, the first sort of twenty five years of this century. But we don't quite know uh, yet, I think, what we mean about modern painting in the last twenty five years. It hasn't sorted itself out altogether, and uh, it's going to be hard for us to know uh, how we're going to represent it.
0: Now, perhaps we could declare an interval here in our exploration of the National Gallery and let James White draw breath. While we consider this question of seeing contemporary painters a little further, apart from the Municipal Gallery, there are the Commercial Galleries and that interesting cooperative venture, the Project Gallery which a number of young Irish painters have launched themselves. But all in all if you or I uh, want to see what's going on at the moment, where do we go? I asked Liam Proud, who in the Molesworth Galleries over some years has shown us the work of a number of Irish painters. At the moment,
2: this is a very difficult question, Uh, the two leading galleries, the uh, Dawson and the Richie Henricks, have contemporary painting. I suppose that we must accept that most of that is from young painters. So you can't go to one of the two national galleries, the municipal or the national, uh, to find the work of a young painter, though in fact I'm very glad to see that in the Municipal Gallery uh, over the last two or three years we are gradually forming a collection of younger painters. Uh, Michael Farrell, for instance, takes up a, a whole wall of one gallery. We, we have um, Paddy Collins um, at the moment hidden behind a large placard. for advertising Dada, and uh, then we have um, uh, Owen Walsh um, and several other painters in an inner gallery. But you see, the trouble is that these young painters are sitting side by side with the great masters, uh, um, um, Caro, um, Constable, and you, you just step from one gallery into the next, and there they are. I think this is rather silly. Um, It's quite obvious that when Hugh Lane founded the Municipal Gallery, or rather the collection which formed the first collection in the Municipal Gallery, um, he intended it to be a, a contemporary exhibition of modern art. Well, time has done its work on it, and now, of course, it isn't contemporary painting, and a lot of this wonderful stuff, uh, his amazing and beautiful collection, should, as he suggested, be moved to the National Gallery, this wonderful new gallery which should have room for it. That would leave room for young painters who are working now and uh, using the available accommodation of Dublin galleries, and indeed finding it very hard to get into them, uh, it, it would give them an opportunity of having their work shown, perhaps uh, a semi-permanent exhibition of a year, and then they could either have their pictures put in the basement or uh, moved somewhere else, even, so <coughs> even possibly um, sold. And the Arts Council could then step in and Purchase these pictures and send them to um, places all over Ireland. I know that the Arts Council, in fact, attempt to um, send pictures um, all over Ireland to libraries, hotels, as a scheme. As you may know, that if they buy the work of a young painter um, and the local authority puts up 50% of the cost, um, then they can uh, they can have this picture. Now this suggestion, this uh, scheme has been very badly, um, I I won't use the phrase received, it it hasn't worked simply because um, so many local authorities, indeed there was the Dublin uh, Corporation in the beginning who were rather slow about this, but they were not ready to consider the work of young painters. (coughs) The idea of a painting in uh, the average alderman's mind is a very sort of thing. It's on his calendar, it's uh, over his mantelpiece, it's a a print of a Spanish uh, village, possibly, but it's not the sort of picture that he's going to uh, find the Arts Council buying. And uh, this all means that we've got to educate, uh, educate the people who are going to buy the pictures and not educate the artists.
0: Well, there's only one basic way of educating public, and I know this as a member of the public, and as one who is constantly in need of this sort of education, the only basic way of educating them is by exposing us to paintings, to the work of all sorts of painters, and particularly to the works of the young people who are now at it. You yourself have had some intimate experience of doing this. I have,
2: and uh, I don't believe we got very far in educating uh, the people with the money. This this is a problem. It's a rather tight circle of uh, the people who came into my gallery were people who were really interested in the painters, and I don't think that the people who have the control of art in this country can really learn quick enough to help a young painter over his first years. Um, I mean, now, it's it's all complicated, but recall what happened when uh, the Dublin is a Dublin corporation who are uh, actually uh, in charge of the municipal collection when they uh, were given an opportunity of buying superbly fine contemporary work um, they threw it out now this was in fact an opportunity to educate them Uh, we remember Moore's uh, reclining figure which is now, almost a conservative piece. If you go up to the municipal gallery, you'll discover that it's now uh, quite accepted, and uh, we've got quite amazing things in, in its place. I mean that the old, uh, the old committee, the, the committee that in fact did throughout these early pictures, uh, have accepted, under the willing guidance of. Uh, the Arts Council and Miss Waldron and so on, they have accepted that they were mistaken and that they really didn't know what they were doing some years ago.
0: On the private level, your own experience, uh, has it made you at all uh, hopeful or has it left you without much hope about the future in this whole thing? No, no, I, I have no worries about this at all. I,
2: I believe that uh, contemporary painting <laughs> is in a very, very happy state today. We've got young painters um, experimenting. Uh, we have young painters who are practically building their own styles based on an international idiom. They they accept the experiments, this uh, extraordinary Dada exhibition in the Municipal Gallery at the moment, they accept what they see, but they They are interpreting it to try and get uh, uh, their own uh, effect of, of, an Irish school I think must still exist. We can't leave, just throw ourselves into this international way of thought. I think every nation has its own individual approach. We won't see this until some years hence, just as the uh, contemporary painters of 30 years ago uh, were in fact very advanced in their day and uh, we couldn't see that they were uh, part Irish. of a great tradition yes. but now they are uh, uh, obviously we're basing an Irish school and I think that, that, that's the
0: situation at the moment so we have the Irish painters have, have we got and can we build up an Irish art-buying art-loving community that's the point I'm not
2: absolutely certain
0: Now, can we leave the question hanging in the air, or perhaps in the back of our minds for a while, and return to the gallery, where we can now join the director in the Spanish room?
1: The Spanish room is perhaps one of our most attractive, because it's, uh, in my opinion, the nicest size, nicest scale. All the Spanish paintings are shown very gracefully in one largish room, and uh, course, this is partly because Spanish painting only came into importance in the seventeenth century, and uh, has only since the seventeenth century once again manifested itself in uh, a great way, and that was when Goya came along at the end of the 18th, beginning of the nineteenth century. Uh, therefore, uh, it's not represented as broadly as our schools, but it is a, a splendid room and, and a very fine collection. Spanish, for some reason or other, always seem to be closely connected with the Flemish. I think because Spanish,
0: Spanish Netherlands pa- pa- and all
1: that. Yes, too, mm-hmm. and because the yeah. uh, because the Spanish actually built up the painting by importing Flemish artists like Van Eyck and so on into uh, Madrid and into Seville, and uh, the kings and queens got their artists working by basing them altogether on, on Flemish models. Our Flemish room is very, very comprehensive and large and very fine, I think. We have one whole section of 15th-century painting, another section of 16th-century painting, and then a large room of the great Baroque artists of the 17th century. Uh, We also have a very attractive room of German painting, not as big, of course, as Flemish, uh, very largely due to the fact that it's uh, much harder to get German paintings. But we do represent them fairly broadly.
0: There is, of course, a particularly splendid representation of the Dutch school.
1: Yes, I think it is. I think we can, we can be rather proud of it from any point of view. Uh, we show every phase of Dutch 17th-century painting, and incidentally, it, it may be of interest to listeners to realize that we have a special wall covering in the Dutch rooms, uh, Terracotta or rusty red silk, mm. uh, and this is only in the rooms with are Dutch painting. In those five rooms.
0: Yes, I know, I've noticed it contrasts with the with the light uh, walls in the other ones. I, I think it's a good idea. We more or less try to use background to the
1: pictures, which we think are attractive and desirable according to the shape of the room, but also uh, so that it helps people to see the paintings at their best and uh, helps at the same time, to guide people uh, to the type of painting which is going on. In this case, as I say, only this colour for Dutch paintings.
0: Well, is this because of the, the sort of the colour, uh, the lack of perhaps reds in the, in the, in the Dutch...? Uh... That's precisely it.
1: Actually, you'll notice in other countries too. I don't pretend that I invented this idea. Mm. I noticed it worked well in other people yes. in other countries' galleries. But uh, it's a colour you couldn't use with most Italian uh, paintings well, for audience, instance because mm. they use this they, they incorporate this colour in their work but for some reason the Dutch don't seem to use it they, they of course their climate the cold northern rainy uh, atmosphere in, in Holland is somewhat similar to that in Ireland and England and uh, accordingly the greys and the blues and the yellows which are uh, prevalent in our mm. countries uh, tend to dominate our painting which is quite natural Speaking of the English uh, paintings, which are much influenced by the Dutch 17th century and the whole Protestant world, uh, the English painting uh, is represented here very powerfully. We have one whole wall of paintings by Gainsborough. We have, I think, eight paintings by Hogarth and eleven or twelve paintings by Reynolds. these are the great masters of English 18th-century painting, then we have a splendid room of 19th-century uh, painting. Certain pictures with considerable Irish interest. One picture which I delight in is a huge uh, painting by Angelica Kaufman when she was staying at Rathfarnham with the marquis of Eli and his wife. She painted this large conversation piece where she's playing the piano and talking to our friend with the um, Eli's in the background. Another painting, which was painted down in Mount Congreve in Waterford, uh, of William Congreve and his sons, and the adjoining picture is of Mrs. Congreve and her daughters. And The picture in the background of uh, the Mrs. Congreve picture is the one which is beside it, of the, of the, uh, the, the, the husband and sons, which is very amusing. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, in, the, in the Congreve picture, there's a wonderful canon uh, which I think Congreve had something to do with inventing, and uh, lots of soldiers. It's a very popular picture with children, and it's placed exactly beside the door into the restaurant to encourage the parents to bring mm-hmm. their children in and give them an ice cream at this stage. Uh, the other end of the, this part of the gallery, we have our room of American paintings. This is the first National Gallery. Ireland is, quite properly it seems to me, the first National Gallery in the world outside of America to have an American room. American painting, of course, uh, came into prominence in the 18th and 19th century, and it runs parallel in general style and approach to the painters of England and Ireland, and indeed, of course, the best Irish painters went to America and founded the American school. I suppose the greatest 18th century painter is John Singleton Copley, and uh, anyone who lives in Cork knows the street called Copley Street, and uh, according to the records, John Singleton Copley was born in America, but his parents uh, left Ireland only a few months before he was born. Mm. So he was that much Irish. And this is, of course, one of the reasons why we're so interested in American painting. We have two at the moment. The splendid portrait of John F. Kennedy by Jamie Wyatt. Now this is only on loan from America. The insurance value of it is $50,000, which seems quite extraordinary for the work of a young contemporary artist. It has to go back at the end of the year, the end of December, so I do want to say to those Irish people who love John F. Kennedy and his memory, that if they want to see this unique picture, which is going to be in the John F. Kennedy Library, they must see it before the end of December. By the way, you have another American president there. Yes, we have. It's also a very interesting painting. It's by the famous uh, American portrait painter John Singer Sargent, and it was bequeathed to this gallery by Sir Hugh Lane when he was drowned in the Lusitania in 1915. Uh, it hadn't at that time been painted. He just purchased the canvas to be painted, and the Board of Governors in this gallery uh, met, met together after the end of the First World War in 1918, and they commissioned Sargent to paint a portrait of the President of the United States of America, Woodrow Wilson, the President at that time. So it's probably, and indeed it certainly is, the only painting in the world which was ever commissioned by a gallery of the President of another country. This is uh, the centre of our American room, and we also have a collection of Gilbert Stuarts, and works by other prominent American painters like Smybert and West, and of course Whistler, whose name is so well known. Uh, This leaves us, really, brings us, one might say, to the most important collection of paintings in the National Gallery of Ireland, paintings by Irishmen. These are represented splendidly, not only all our best portrait painters shown in our portrait. Gallery, but also the uh, best painters of the 18th and 19th and 20th century. We have six rooms of them. There's a complete room of paintings by Jack B. Yeats, who is perhaps our greatest painter. And there's a very interesting room of modern Irish painters who are not alive now, uh, mainly uh, circulating around the figures of men like Paul Henry, Roderick O'Connor, and W.J. Leach, all of whom. Painted in the style of the Impressionists or the uh, artists of kind of like Van Gogh, because as you know, uh, Paul Henry was a sort of Irish Van Gogh. And then there are the Cubist painters, Manny Gellert and Evie Hone, uh, who, who contributed considerably to the great art of stained glass through the work of Evie Hone, uh, introducing the Cubist style to the, to the uh, sections of colored glass in her windows.
0: Now, uh, the Irish collection, as you've said, is immensely important. It's important, I think, from many, many points of view. But do you feel yourself that, looking at it, do you regard uh, the 18th and 19th century paintings as that there is a specific Irish style, that there is something there which is, you know, not just to be assimilated to the English painting? I
1: don't think that one could, could possibly describe Painting in Ireland in the 18th century as uh, having that kind of specific Irish quality that, that our illuminated manuscripts had in the 8th, 7th, or 8th century, but it, it, it had a generic quality. It had, first of all, the tremendous value of protest, and uh, our best painters are always insulted in the past. James Barry, who was fired out of the Academy, Nathaniel Hone, whose most important picture was thrown out of the Academy, and others like George Barrett, they all went over to London to make a living, but they all went on asserting their Irishness against the greatest of odds. They went on, as the English said, with the chip on their shoulder being damn difficult, but the fact is that there they were in London, letting English people know that we had a cultivation over here, that we could paint pictures, and that we could protest. And they are, and they did it an important job. They did the same kind of important job in the 18th century, that the writers uh, like Singh and Yeats and so on, and Joyce and O'Casey did, in the 20th century, by making our claims uh, something that p- intelligent people everywhere listen to, not because they really cared about our troubles, but because they recognised we were important human beings because we had something to say. And this is why I am prepared to get up on any platform anywhere and defend Irish artists of the 18th, 19th and 20th century when they're attacked by others.
0: But surely they must, uh, the, 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 their protest, as you've called it, or their statement, their witness, can only have reached a very comparatively small number of people in a small kind, you know, course, I quite agree.
1: Uh, I think this is true also of the protests we're all making every day about anti-apartheid or about our own Grand Canal, but it's just people uh, who, who like myself, are quite prepared to go down and lie on the ground so that people can't remove us from our canal. It's just it's just people like this, it seems to me, uh, who will eventually be able to persuade um, the, the authorities that the thing is worth saving, and uh, this is the life we lead. We, we are, all of us, in one way or another, reformers or propagandists. We believe in what we're doing. We believe so desperately that we're prepared to give up our job or to die for us, even though it may seem rather stupid to other people who think that money is the only important factor. I just don't, and I don't think these men did. And I think the fact that we've had writers and musicians and uh, painters and sculptors all over the years who are prepared to die for their country and yet they are such voluble and inventive and original people. This, I think, makes real sense.
0: Money is however very much a factor in the painter's world. The buying of paintings has become a good investment, as they say. I spoke to Kevin O'Byrne, who manages the Agnew Somerville Gallery not a stone's throw from the National. This gallery deals in old masters and in Irish paintings, and in fact, Kevin O'Byrne is very much of one mind with James White about the work of Irish painters of previous generations, some of whom have been, I'm afraid, rather neglected by us. But on the investment bit, I tackled uh, Kevin O'Byrne on this, is selling paintings rather like selling securities?
3: I think, in a way, the art dealer of today must be a stockbroker. Huh? I, I don't—they uh, they seem to be synonymous, both of the the the, uh, the functions. But is that uh, all you're at? Well, no. I mean, I think you have to understand. I mean, I started off as an artist. You know. <laughs> I didn't do very well, I'm afraid. You know, but having one's eye in helps. And I mean, I also happen to be a businessman. So the combination of the two—you deal in pictures, you are also a businessman. Um, There is another function. I think uh, one deals in pictures, because you like pictures primarily, but it also happens that if you happen to be a businessman, you are a better dealer automatically, because buying and selling pictures is about buying and selling like soap or anything else, you know. Is it just that? It's not just that, of course not. But uh, but it can be. I mean, there is a side which must be looked at like that, and I think a lot of uh, dealers go out of business because they are not aware of this side. You know, And this is why uh, a dealer can be adventurous, but only so far you know, that, I mean, there is a stage at which uh, you cannot handle an artist. If you have, in a gallery, uh, ten artists, I mean, one man has gone out of business in Dublin not so long ago, one dealer in modern paintings, you know, a very fine man and an intelligent man. But I think he had a lot of young artists in his in his gallery, who just didn't pay. So what do you do? I mean, is, is the first thing to be efficient? If you're efficient, then you can show paintings. Then people, you can build up, uh, you, you are
0: there. You know, the first thing is to win the battle, you know? But then, what about all the vast number of people, the majority, the great majority of people, who are not in the investment game, who are not in the even high-priced buying game, but who still want to look at pictures and may even want to look at pictures at home. And buy a picture. Yeah.
3: What I mean, there's no reason why you shouldn't buy a picture for £20 and find that it's an investment that's gone up to £30 in about a year's time. I mean, when you say investment, you think in terms of, say, 500 guineas, 1,000 guineas, and when we have paintings here, there's one over there, that's 4,000 guineas. You know?
0: And a rather—I mean, it's a dreary-looking
3: painting. Oh, it Carl, is.
0: No. <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, this,
3: this is a Fernley senior. I mean, it's a very, very nice painting. You know, horse painting. and Fernley was one of the horse painters who painted a complete picture, where a lot of horse painters just painted a horse. You know, in a stable. Uh, Fernley paints the stable and the horse, and the whole lot is one unit. You know, it's a, it has unity. You see, But it—but you know, I think you can buy a picture at twenty guineas, uh, at thirty guineas. I mean, which is not really—I mean, you. You do that on 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 rubbish, you know. Uh, a woman came in here yesterday with a coat of two thousand guineas. I mean, what do you do? I mean, uh, a painting. Uh, I think you can get a painting for 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 twenty or thirty or 40, not many, but you can. And watercolors, you know. Well, now all of these are going to appreciate. So, I mean, you can buy something which is nice, quite cheaply, and it will still appreciate in value over the years.
0: But what does all what this is hanging to on do words? with with the visual arts being? An enrichment of a people, I mean what has it to do with well, people looking at painting and wanting to have paintings in their houses well,
3: this is very nice i don't think it, uh, I don't think necessary that they're opposed you know I think that they complement each other that the the, the visual arts uh, i mean one can uh, i think it's a very good idea. I think we have a very good tradition actually here contrary to the idea that uh, that Irish people are are, are are literally developed but not uh, as far as language and writing is concerned but are not. Uh, developed have not developed visually. I think this is a lot of old nonsense. I think Irish people have a very good tradition, but for some reason uh, they just have never been made aware of it. And to walk into the National Gallery now is an experience which I mean it's quite magnificent to see the Irish room in the, in the National Gallery, and it certainly stands up beside any 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 uh, uh, national painters of any other country. I've yes, seen.
0: this I- these Irish uh, rooms, this Irish element in your work, Irish in the sense that paintings made by Irishmen over the last 150 years. You're specializing in them.
3: Yes, we are. And uh, painters now like Barrett, who was one of the founder members of the Royal Academy. Uh, well, I mean, he's an Irishman. I mean, the Royal Academy is considered British. Obviously, he had to go to England to find his market at that time. Uh, the same way with, with, uh, with uh, O'Connor, who was another Irish painter who painted in England. I mean, Petrie, O'Connor, and... and uh, they went off to London to seek their fortune. I'm afraid they never, uh, they never, uh, they ne- didn't get rich. Nor did they, they they get their fortune in London. But, but lots uh, of
0: people, including perhaps the Agnew Somerville Gallery, are getting rich on these people now. And what uh, has this to do uh, with the relationship between the painter and an audience? Do you, in fact, sir, feel that the whole dealer thing is not at all, in some way, a Introducing uh, some sort of curious barrier between people and the painter.
3: But I mean, the, the only way a painter will show his work is through a dealer. I mean, uh, you know, I don't see the the. Uh, I would love to see young painters. I mean, instead of expecting to go to dealers, all go up to the to Stevens Green and hang their paintings along the uh, along the side of Stevens Green and sell them. I mean, uh, I, I've done this myself. I've sold stones I used to paint and I, I've, I've dragged them around in a bag, a large bag around the university there, and I've sold them to various professors and other people,
0: you know, when but, I want to. But you still accept the notion that, that the real business of buying and selling paintings is uh, for the rich
3: to the rich? Not for the rich to the rich at all. I think uh, I think to start off one must have a certain amount of capital, to start off any business. Uh, if you're starting off the dealing, it's far better that a painter goes along to a dealer or is handled by a dealer who is going to stay in business. Uh, he shows the paintings there, he has enough money to for the overheads, for the presentation, for the framing, for the presentation of a man's work. He presents it, shows it to the public, and he takes his commission. Now for that commission, he looks after the painter. He Stops the public coming along and messing a man around. I mean, and if you've ever seen people trying to buy, it's like uh, some people. It's like they want paintings on approval. They want to try it out, like buying a pair of shoes. Uh, you know, to be sent down into provinces somewhere. You know, you buy you buy a pair of shoes, you try them on the children, and if they don't fit, send it back. They want to take that painting home, put it on the wall, you know, and see if everybody in if the it village, matches the like furniture. but I don't think the artist Do you should, you not be think
0: able, should be should uh, be released to this sort Do of thing. Do you not think take that a little bit? that you're selling to people who wanted to match the furniture? Uh, Well,
3: obviously some people. I think there's no... uh, Well, to match the furniture... No, I think essentially people... My paintings, because they love it, they go away. It worries them. They go home, and the wife wakes up in the middle of night and gives her husband a bang in the ribs and says, Look here, that painting, I can't stop thinking about it. They come in the next day. That happens all of the time. They come in the next day, they look at it, they go away again. In point of
0: fact, aren't these normally... Rather rich people, isn't it no, a rich man's hobby? No, not
3: at all. I, as a matter of fact, most of our customers are from the Irish, what could be called the middle classes. The Irish people who are so developing, making some money now. They've never made it before. I think really that there, there hasn't been a lot of paintings in Ireland simply because people have never made money. Now people are making money. The average person in Ireland is making money, and they're buying pictures. They're buying pictures to put on the wall. So the booming show is, is is, is,
0: is, 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 coming, is, is a, a, coming. And it's it's a part of the of the swinging. Ireland it's a very 16. much
3: a part of uh, Swinging Sixties, but more than that, it means that Irish artists can now stay at home in Ireland.
0: John Ryan has been looking at pictures for us here in RTE for the past few years, but in fact he can go back to the frenzied, as it were, forties. How do the Swinging Sixties compare?
4: Well, there's a better and a bigger audience and a more appreciative audience, but... Thinking comparing the scene today now with twenty-five years ago when we had the White Stag and the, the birth of the living art, it seemed to me that we had stronger people then, like Louis LeBracci, Patrick Scott, Thurla Conley, George Campbell, Ann Yates, Hilary Hearn, Nana Reed, Jack Allen, and of course we had Yates himself. These were all modern painters, but they were all different. Um, there My, were more, many of them are still with us. Many indeed, thank God, goodness, are still with us. And that's how it's possible for even a comparatively young person like myself to compare the scene today with a quarter of a century ago. But um, that's what I think. They were more revolutionary, and of course they were struggling um, against a hostile public to the, to the greater extent. I can remember an exhibition of Yeats where he didn't sell one painting and um, then of course we had the hostility of the government with the terrible hostility of the Dublin Corporation which as you know controls the Municipal Art Gallery. Somebody once said that um, art was life forced through a restriction and it's possible that it does encourage the painter to try harder but I think you see now that you have a rather affluent class buying pictures and you have the Arts Council with its big grants that the younger painters are painting for a market that they know is there whereas we didn't have any market but they are painting what is wanted for the market they're doing what's predictable what they know say the Arts Council will go for and this in this way they're tending to follow the leader and it's it's quite difficult to find anything Radically different between one and one painter and another. Like say, one man decides to do this hard edge, as they call it, abstract, and another one takes it up. Well, it's very, it's, it's almost impossible to know which who's painted what what. <laughs> even at the best, artists aren't paid, well, even the 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 highest paid here, are not paid anything like, the comparable rates that would be paid to anybody, in, say, in any other profession. They are, they they are still, the painters are still the Cinderella's of the Irish scene, but they're a a good deal better off than they were.
0: Looking at it now from the other point of view, from the point of view of the plain people of Ireland, as it were, the people who want to see paintings or perhaps would come to want to see paintings, uh, do you think the position in this way is much happier?
4: Oh, I think so, yes. And I think... um, a lot of it has come through these child ex- group exhibitions, like you know the Caltech exhibition and things. People at a very early age are being exposed to art, so they grow up with it. I think this has done a lot, but we're still sadly lacking in general education and art. Um, our art school, for instance, I mean, it's pathetically inadequate, even to do what it's the modest thing it's trying to do. It can't do for the lack of facilities and space but of course the main thing it likes is um teachers of the first rank you see now people like lebrache he 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 actually lectured in the slade and people like lucian freud and that they picked the very best painters to be visiting lecturers and teachers you know whereas we run our art school more or less like just a technical school like
0: do you think that a heavy investment in the educational end would be the best way now uh, for the state, for the community, to help art?
4: I think so, and it would be the the best way of showing that we are indeed uh, a nation that puts art, and as our heritage, puts it in an important place. And I think this, to do this, we must build a proper art school, we must allow the RHA... To rebuild their schools and I understand they're having plenty of difficulty with the Dublin Corporation to get going in Eli Place and that would give us two that would give us two good schools of art and the same of course should be done in the provinces in the meantime we
0: must be grateful to the National Gallery for the educational facilities they are providing not alone in their advertised lectures for the public But also, uh, did you know that any group of 15 or more who decide to visit the gallery can ring up and ask for a lecture all for themselves? This is one of the great ancillary services of the gallery. Another is the great work of restoration, restoration of pictures that's been going on over the last two years. The Italian experts have been coming over, but there's, in fact, a permanent regular department under the control of Matthew Moss, who might talk to... In his high echoing restoration room. They've had some spectacular successes.
5: Uh, yeah, we've made some marvelous discoveries. Uh, during the last two summers, we've cleaned the two uh, masterpieces by uh, Lanfranco, uh, two beautiful paintings which are shown out in the gallery. And then we've cleaned uh, a very large uh, Carlo Maratta and Annibale Carracci paintings which we had. Um, about a hundred years ago and uh, which up to now had, hadn't been seen uh, and since cleaning we've had them hanging in the gallery.
0: And very beautiful then look it must be a tremendous thrill when you see this when you literally seem to uncover the, the, the painter's vision again.
5: Uh, yeah it's as much a surprise to us as there is to the um, spectator because we ourselves uh, we were pre- presented with pictures which were literally black and uh, we didn't know what we were going to uncover and we were as surprised and as pleased and as thrilled as, as um, the director and in fact everybody who has seen the picture since is we have the beautiful Paolo cello in the gallery which was um, altered quite extensively in the 18th century and uh, we uh, in the last summer have removed a lot of 18th century over paintings and now have the painting as it was as it left and Paolo cello studio which had we left it would have been more or less a very inferior 18th 18th century painting. The techniques
0: of doing this, I know it it demands sensitivity and it demands technique, and the techniques, I presume, are pretty well in exact science now, are they? Uh,
5: Yeah, uh, when we set up the studio here, we were more or less given a free hand um, to buy all the equipment we needed. We bought the most modern equipment, and we got the greatest assistance from uh, Italian experts, so that the equipment we have here in Ireland is, at the highest standard, as good as you'll get anywhere else in the world, with the result that we can carry a very precise and very, you might say, scientific um, restoration.
0: There's so much more to say. We haven't had really any painter's talk in this programme, but we will again. There's much more, very much more to say about the National Gallery itself. What about, for instance, the glorious Icon Room, containing a collection of Byzantine art from... County Waterford bought for a hundred thousand pounds, a collection that gives balance to what is naturally an overwhelmingly Western vision. The money for this, as indeed for so much else, comes, of course, from the Shaw Trust, the Dia Thor. But for a final word, the director, James White, tells us how he sees the function of the National Gallery of Ireland.
1: One can think of the National Gallery's function from many points of view. Its primary function is to show, to give evidence of the existence of great men, great artists in the past, who have created through the use of paint, uh, which has enabled them to give rein to their imagination and to record the events of history and the ideas that occur to them as philosophers because most painters are uh, potted philosophers, if you know what I mean. So this evidence is on the walls for all time, and a gallery like ours not only shows the paintings, but also protects and preserves them, and makes it easy for people to contact them, and in fact, is a sort of front page for them, you know. We we have them in headlines, and when our paintings are particularly good, when we're referring to our Rembrandts and our Michelangelos and our... Uh, frangelicos, they're shown and displayed in such a way that people can see these are the headlines. Now, uh, why should one show them, you might say? Uh, Why does it matter? It matters because it's an example to future artists, to those who want to learn to paint. It's an example to to designers, uh, to those concerned with industry, and to those concerned with the shape of things. If you see the shape of a picture, uh, you see the colour of a picture, and it doesn't matter whether you're making a cake or or hanging a curtain or digging a garden you can learn from the way other people make their shapes and sizes and colors you can learn how to do it better and uh, in this sense it's terribly important it's important that one should inculcate it into one's system so to speak so one has natural good taste uh, which one acquires by by contact with desirable things not in the dull learning sense but in the other sense that uh, If you have a a cultivated mind, then you can get on with things. Uh, That, I would say, is its first function. Its second function, as I see it, is to refresh the mind of people. Uh, Every man, every woman, every child becomes exhausted with his own work, with his own endeavours, with his own encounters, and needs to let off steam. Some of us let off steam at Daily Man Park or Croke Park or Lansdowne Road. Uh, Some of us let off steam at... A television play, or by reading a book. But others need pictures, they need the contact with the visible, and with the shape, and with the, con- the texture. This is a way in which they have the cathartic experience of art, in which they feel, and in which they're moved, in which they uh, know that sensation uh, of allowing their mind to escape from their body, so that the body has a little rest. This is a pure economics, one might say, of recreation. Uh, The third function of the National Gallery, it seems to me, is to uh, allow the visible art, the visual art, if you like, to become part of the experience of the Irishman.